0: Amen, and thank you for being here this morning and for worshiping with us. And men, fathers, happy Father's Day. I guess not all men are fathers, but happy Father's Day to those of you that are. And uh, it's great for uh, us to have you worship with us this morning. We are continuing in the book of Titus. So we started a series last week, Uh In Titus, entitled Life Changing Grace for World Changing Action. So Titus was living in a day and age where Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 was very prominent. And Isaiah says this Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So that was the day and age in which Titus was living. That's the location. It was what most people would go, yeah, that's not right. They were saying, yeah, that's good. I would say we're kind of in a similar situation. Uh, a lot of people that we as believers would go, that's crazy way of thinking. And they're like, no, this is normal. This is good. Um, but Paul was writing to, uh, to Titus and encouraging him. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17 through 21, it speaks of uh, recompense no man for evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men if it po- if it be possible as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men dearly beloved avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord therefore if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirst give him drink For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we see this darkness that Titus was in, and we see that Paul was encouraging him in, in some of these things to love others. Paul says in verse number five of Titus chapter one, he says, for this cause I left thee in Crete. So again, for this cause, what is that cause? The cause is that Titus was in a nasty place. He was dealing with some pretty nasty people, people that were not honoring God, people that were, uh, if you go back into what we had, uh, what we talked about last week, in verse number 12, uh, even the prophet of their own said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. These were not loving, kind people, but yet because of that, Paul says, Titus, I need you to stay. I need you to work there. I need you to fix the problems. I need you to help set things in motion. And so because things were bad, did Paul look at Titus and say, okay, Titus, here's all the qualifications, but we're going to take it from here and put it down here because things are really rough. Is this what Paul did? Is this what Paul did, class? No, thank you. No, Paul didn't take the qualification and lower it or lessen it. He said, hey, these are the qualifications, and I need you to set those in motion and put men who are qualified to lead. I think, probably in their day, no different than in our day, I think sometimes we have a need. We need children's workers. We need a life group leader. We need a Sunday school teacher. We need a this and we need a that. And we find somebody who is willing to do it, has a little bit of talent to do it, and we're like, oh, awesome, go do it. And we fail sometimes to say, this is the spiritual qualification. This is what God's word says is our qualification. And then. Deal with the talent aspect of it. We do it backwards. Somebody is talented. We have a need. We fill it with the talented person, as opposed to somebody who is spiritually in a place that needs to lead, but they may not be as talented. And so when we look at this, Paul is making it very clear Titus, here are some things that we have to have. Titus, this is a mess. We are dealing with a mess. We're dealing with a people that are a mess. I need you to help me and to lead and to put people in leadership positions. As I was writing this, this was the thought that came to my mind. One of the things that I would say is probably the um, one that brought most joy in my life was coaching. Coaching. I've shared this before, many of you know that. I love coaching. I loved my opportunity of coaching basketball and baseball and volleyball, different things that we've, uh, I've been able to to coach some of that with Mindy, Uh, but I have always loved coaching. I've always loved to help and to bring somebody who was not as gifted or uh, maybe they just didn't know some of the nuances of it and help them and then as they see it, that light bulb goes off and they can take it to another place. I've always just loved coaching, and I kind of took some of this thought. And I, I, as I was writing this, that the thought came to me was Titus was coming into a really bad team. They had fired the coach. They brought in a new coach. So yes, they have a team. They have some players. They have some things happening, but there's no form of cohesiveness. There is no structure. There is no system in place. There's no offense. There's no defense. This coach is bringing in everything, and he is going to set forth a platform, set forth a foundation of which the team can now build upon. And so Titus comes in, and he has to say, hey, here's here's the qualification, If you're going to be on this team, if you're going to be doing this, I need you to be this. I need you to act like this. I need you to put this effort forth. I need this to happen. And he kind of puts people as captains. So if you recall last week, Titus was not coming in to a church. He was helping oversee the churches there in the area. So he was putting captains, if you will, in different places. So the captains are a little bit more, there's more accountability. There's no more responsibility. But, and I want us to, I want us to really take this to heart today. But in doing so, Titus, or Paul didn't tell Titus, hey, uh, but let everybody else do whatever they want. See, the, the part of the team is that everybody does to the best of their ability all that they need to do. Do we follow? So, yes, the captain may be held to a little bit higher of a standard in the sense of his accountability and responsibility of leading the others on his team, but the reality is everybody else has to participate with the same rules. See, sometimes we come to this pastor's scripture or scriptures like it, and we go, I don't know what your Bible says, but at the top of verse number five it says ordain qualified elders and I think sometimes we look at that and we go sweet ching," those few verses are over there because I have no desire to be an elder I don't need it that's not for me and I come to you today and most of you that sit in this room are never going to be an elder pastor You may never shepherd a flock, a a, a church, but every one of us that sit here, somebody's looking at. And so therefore, everywhere that you go, whether it's the little eyes that you parent who are looking up at you and watching you, or it's where you go to the park, or it's where you go drink your coffee or it's where you go to eat your food that you go to on a regular basis or if it's the place that you work and people are watching you. I love the statement that I, I heard uh, as I was reading and studying this is that you are the greatest Christian that somebody knows. You are the greatest Christian that somebody knows. And if you stop and think about that, you may be a horrible Christian But to somebody, you're the only one that is a believer that they know. And so in their eyes, their picture of Christianity is how you live your life. That can be really encouraging or that can be really discouraging this morning, right? But the reality, that is the reality. Somebody is watching you. We all lead somebody. And as we look at this, And this passage of scripture, yes, it speaks to the heart of being a pastor or an elder, but it ought to be the goal of every person that calls themselves a believer, that we would live a life of blamelessness in the eyes of those that we come in contact with. So i have looking at this life-changing grace for world-changing action happens through spirit Filled leaders. And I want you to think about this statement, world-changing action is most effective through spirit-filled leaders, and God is calling you. God is calling you to be just that. And so Titus chapter 1 will be in verses 5 through 9 this morning. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to join with me. Uh, it's on the screen, if not. But Titus chapter 1, starting in verse number 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Father, I ask you this morning that, Lord, your word would tug upon our hearts, that you would convict us in areas where we need convicted. Lord, I pray even now as people sit here and and, and listen from the auditorium, as people listen uh, wherever they may be listening in, Lord, even now that they would just ask in the quietness of their heart, God, show me where I need to make some changes in my life where my attitude can be different, where I need to be more uh, focused on your word, and so on and so forth. Father, meet with us today, for it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, life-changing grace for world-changing action happens through spirit-filled leaders who are, point number one, blameless. Blameless. Spirit-filled leaders who are blameless. Titus was in one of the most evil, morally bankrupt, and corrupt places in the world at that time. And Paul said to Titus, To teach and to lead through truth, which will lead to a godly life, which is ultimately what is needed to see culture change. So in order... <coughs> Excuse me. In order for all of this to happen, in order for anything to permeate in through the culture, it has to happen through the leading of those that are grounded in the truth of God's word, that will, God will then pierce our hearts. God will change us from the inside, changing our actions, which will show forth into everything else that we do. We'll see that the good works are not what leads us to salvation or with being with, right with God. But what we do know is that it's according to God's word that right standing with God will lead to good works. And so as we look at this, we see this, this thought, this statement right off the bat. One that Paul was telling Titus, I left you here so that you would set in order, put in motion, put in place, those that are uh, that would that are ordained to lead, and he says in verse six, "If any be blameless, if any be blameless, it takes good godly leaders, godly believers to bring about this thought of light and darkness." If I am to bring light into the midst of darkness, then my lifestyle has to be that and that I'm doing all that I can to be blameless in my actions, in my words, and in the things that we are doing. And that's not me as a pastor. That is me as a believer, as a follower of God, that I would live that life in such a manner. And so as we live in a time, even now, we are living in a time of darkness. We're living in a time where people are seeking after something. They're looking for answers. They're, they're needing something. The church ought to be the light in the midst of that. Paul says this word here in verse 6, If any, be blameless. Titus, the greatest thing that you can do in putting somebody and appointing somebody as a leader is to look for somebody who is blameless. What is blameless? Blameless implies not merely acquittal, but the absence of even a charge or accusation against a person. In the legal system of Paul's day, a person who was blameless was not subject even to indictment, much less a trial. So it's one thing to go stand before trial and be acquitted of the crime. It's another thing to be blameless and that you have never had to stand before trial. Do we follow? It's a blamelessness that nobody can put those things to you because you've done your part. An elder, an overseer should be subject neither to being called to account nor taken into custody, as it were, on any moral or spiritual charge. Of course, no one is perfect. No one is sinless. But the godliness or the righteousness shouldn't be called into question based on my lifestyle. When you look at that leader, when you look at that person, when you look at the person that's sitting near you, whatever it would be, you should be able to see in their lifestyle, see in that, and you don't begin to question their righteousness, if you will, in the standing between God. For me, it's one thing to teach it and to preach it. It's another thing to live it. We've all seen that. We've seen pastors, we've seen leaders who have taught the word, who are exemplary when it comes to their teaching, exemplary when it comes to many things, but their lifestyle did not lead in a manner and something came and they cracked. So Paul said, what? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I want you to stop and think about this, because I believe this is so important in the day and age in which we live. Christ never intended the role of pastor or elder to be a mark of status in the church's hierarchy. Stop and think about that. Paul never intended that the position of the pastor would be some hierarchy type of a position inside of the church. But I believe much of that has been made. See, the call of the pastor is to be an example of humility before God. The call of a pastor is, is in part to be an example of being that slave of Christ. That we, are, uh, that we are a bond servant of God. That we would be humble. That we are faithful servants of God. We are called to shepherd if you didn't know this, being a shepherd was not one of those positions that everybody like raised their hand to sign up to do. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Nobody wanted to work those shifts all night long. Nobody wanted to, to travel with all of those sheep from one mountain range to another mountain range to another mountain range to set up the boundary, to do the things. It was not a glamorous position. It was held for the the youngest in the family. David was the youngest of the family, so when they went to look for the king, they looked for all the older ones, right? And then they said, oh, but there's another one. They knew there was another one. Why? Because he was out in the pasture. It's not a status position. Rather, one who would be willing to humbly serve. So, blamelessness. The next thing it says is that that in verse 6, we would be blameless. The, The husband of one wife. The husband of one wife, meaning a one woman man. For some inside of the church, this has been a, an argument, this has been a debate for who can serve and what capacity one way or another based on divorce or based on this or that. But when we look at this, we know a couple things. One, uh, many will say that it's, it's speaking of polygamy. Well, we already know in the, in the Gospels, or in, not in the Gospels, in the New Testament, polygamy was already called and said to be wrong. We know that it wasn't speaking of somebody that had to be married. So the pastor didn't have to be married based on this husband of one wife. For we know in other passages of scripture, a widower having been remarried is, is okay. It doesn't necessarily speak of divorce. For if that were the case, most would have and most who study this would say that would have been written out there. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty of where we're at. Let's again go back to culture. Were we in a good situation in culture? No. What was the culture? The culture was one of the most morally bankrupt cultures in its time. They were not a group of men and women that were just seeking after Jesus. They were morally bankrupt. Morally bankrupt pretty much means it was a not healthy sexual situation going on. So very, very common it would be for a man to have his wife and then to have his slave girl over here and then to have his woman over here. And so what Paul was saying is we need a man who is a one woman kind of man. His mind is singularly focused on his wife, not on the other things. I would say this, I think common sense, but again, looking at Isaiah, the things that we would think are okay are not always such, right? So to me, it just makes perfect sense that if I have my wife and then I have a few other girls on the side, that's, that's not blameless, and so what we're looking at here is Paul is telling Titus, hey, you are looking for a man to lead who is singularly focused, faithful to his wife. Sexual purity. It's available only to her. Matthew chapter 5 says it this way, whether or not one commits an act, it's not so much the act, it's the harboring of lust in the heart So if they are having that thought, it's somebody that is pure in heart and mind and soul towards their spouse. God can still use a man, but when that is the case, it disqualifies a man from leading because it's not a blameless man. Next thought. It says blameless, it says husband of one, and then it says what? Children, not accursed or unruly. One must spiritually and morally lead his own home. To look at the qualified often look no further than their home. If you want to know if he is able to lead the unsaved to faith in Christ and to help them grow in obedience and holiness, examine the effectiveness of his efforts with his own children. What is our job as parents? What is our job as fathers it's to lead, be our, if you are a believer in Christ as a man, you are to be the spiritual head of your home. That means my job is to disciple my children. That is my number one priority, is to be the discipler of my children, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will they be perfect? Yes, mine, no, I'm just kidding. No, they're not gonna be perfect. My children are not perfect. None of them are. But I pray that you can look at me as your leader and say his children are seeking after God. I pray that you could look at me or you can look at others and look at, look at that thought of blamelessness. And it says what? That they're not accused of riot or unruly. They're not accused of, of things that are, are, are debauchery of uh, this speaks of just a wild partying type of a lifestyle. If that is happening in my home, I've yet to experience it. Madison, you will be killed. No, I'm just kidding. I can't, I can't, can we edit that? It's our, it, what? I know, that's, um, that's, that's bad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, I, it is our job. Again, it goes back to that thought of what? Blamelessness. It's blameless. If, if we are leading our home, it's out of blameless. I love this thought. No matter how godly and self-giving a man himself may be in the Lord's service, children of his who do not believe and who are known for their dissipation or rebellion distract from the credibility of his leadership. If he cannot bring his own children to salvation and to godly living, he will not have the confidence of the church in his ability to lead other unbelievers to salvation or to lead his congregation in godly living. Unbelieving, rebellious, or profligate children will be a serious reproach on his life and ministry. So we look at this. Again, I'm asking you to look at this in the lens of of your own home and your own life and to think, am I living a life that is blameless? Am I, as a man or a woman, is my, are, are my focus uh, solely on my spouse? Do I, do I love them? I'm not lusting after things over here and lusting after things over there and so on and so forth. Am I doing all that I can to raise and to nurture and to love on my children, to care for them, so that when others look at me, they don't go, Well, but do you see all of those people? <laughs> those are his children but he's telling me to live this way. It's not blameless. So the first thought this morning is that we would, through spirit-filled leaders that are blameless, the second one is spirit-filled leaders that are, who are accountable. The word that came to mind as I was reading through this and I was reading through these next, uh, this next couple verses, this section of of just the, the things not to do and the things to do was accountability. The word blameless again is mentioned and then it's, it's looking at character traits. It's looking at things that we would do. And I, I look at this and I thought, okay, who's holding me accountable to these things? Who's holding me accountable to being or not being self-willed? Who's holding me accountable uh, with my temper? Who's holding me accountable to things that I'm facing? Who's holding me accountable with my hospita- hospitality? Who's holding me accountable to all of these things? And those are the things I think that we need to do and we need to do a better job of it. And he says this. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. We look at stewardship, and what do we, nine out of ten times, you think of? What do you think of? Money. Man, you guys are really on it, helping me out with my sermon here. Finances, money, right? When the church is talking about stewarding, we're talking about money. Stewardship is what? It's the way in which I manage the things that have been given to me. I am a steward of what God has given to me. So there is a financial aspect of that. There is a family aspect of that. God has given me four children. I am to steward that. As the pastor, I am to steward what God has given to me. And so when we look at this, that is so vitally important as we keep moving forward in all of this. How do I steward that which God has given to me? Myself. It says this to do what? It says not, in verse number seven, not self-willed. That is not arrogant, only interested in myself. It asserts its own will with utter disregard for how others might be affected. Pride. Do I only worry about me? Do I have no regard for others around me because of my own arrogance? Am I self-willed? It says not quick-tempered. This does not speak of just your uh, occasional outburst. If you have children, you've had an outburst in your home at some point. If you have not, you are far more patient and better than I. But there's moments where the kids are driving you nuts, right? And you're like, ah! Just stop it! Anybody? John has. Mike has. Thank you. Shelby did three minutes ago. Um, but no, we, we have that. It's one thing to be like, ah! It's another thing when you live a life of just anger. There's people that are, they really, truly, and genuinely battle anger. This says not to be self-willed. It says not to be quick-tempered Rather, we would work with others. We would be kind and patient. Uh, It was brought to me by somebody as they were leaving the service this morning, and they said gentleness. The thought of being gentle. Not addicted to wine. To be continually alongside or in the presence of is what that means. So I know that in the church, in today's church, Alcohol is one of those topics that some people are like, yeah, I can drink and do what I want. And other people are like, no, thou shalt not. And we look at all these things. We know that in the Old and the New Testament, alcohol was present. We know that most everybody drank it. I would speak of it in this regard without getting into any form of a diatribe or a... uh, a, a, fight over that because that's not the point today but one the thought is that that would be blameless the other is if you go back through history we know that in the bible days alcohol was a lot different than today we also know that they would take a part of alcohol and put it into a large part of water because their water was not filtered the way that ours is it wasn't clean and it was also a great medicinal use for within their stomach and many other things and so we would look at it we can look at it from a different many different ways but this passage says do not be addicted to that is do not be continually alongside of or in the presence of don't do it I look at it in this way I would say this blameless blameless if I'm being blameless you can put the rest of it together not a striker not a fighter. Again, somebody that is kind and patient, somebody that is uh, gentle, somebody that is not given to filthy lucre, greed, lack of honesty or integrity in seeking wealth and financial prosperity at any cost. I have zero problem with you making as much money as you want to make. No problem at all. God does not care if you are a gazillionaire. I believe with everything in me that there are people that God has just set in place that they just know how to make money. I know people that literally, I feel like they just, everywhere they go, money just falls on them. And it's like, how do you have that knack of literally anything that you touch is like an extra $10,000 in your pocket? How do you do that? But God has given certain people that knack. And that's perfectly fine. However... What is not fine is when we do that out of greed, when we have no integrity, when we are not honest and we're not stewarding it as according to what God would have us. So God's word says in Titus, do not do these things. Then he says, in verse number eight, but a lover of hospitality... So in verse 7, we see these are the things that we are not to do. Do not be this. But, then we come down, he says, but be, but act in this way, but do this thing. It says hospitable. This word speaks to affection of strangers. One who offers their time, resources, and encouragement to others, friends, and strangers. You know what, I I used this illustration in the last service. It is easy for me to invite certain people to my house and to be helpful to certain people because I know them, I care for them. It's different when it's somebody that is a stranger. Am I hospitable? Hospitality would mean that I am loving to those that I do not know and I'm loving to those that I know. There's a hospitality to that. It says loving what is good. Simply put it this way, A love of that which is intrinsically good. Philippians 4 speaks of it this way. Whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and loving and just and so on. And it says, and of good report. Again, are you loving the things that are good? The things that are godly? The things that are virtuous? It says that we would be sober. That is that our mind would be sober-minded. That we would be cool-headed that we would be level-headed, that we would be sensible, that we would be just, that which is proper and right, righteous, fairness, the pastor who is just or righteous is a man who reflects the just and fair character of God himself. He goes on to speak of being devout, holy, genuine obedience to God's will. Self-controlled. A man that would walk with God in the integrity of his heart. And as I go through these things and I go through these, this list, I look at the things that I ought not to be and not not to do and I look at these things over here that I am supposed to be I'm supposed to be hospitable and loving that which is good and sober and just and devout and self-controlled we need to do all of those things and I ask you this who in your life is holding you accountable to any of these things I ask you this, you that you don't look at this and say, well, I'm glad you are that person, or pastor such and such is that person, or this guy is that person, and I have no desire to be that. I ask you this, are you seeking the face of God and saying, God, am I hospitable to others? Am I loving that which is good? Am I sensible? Am I level headed? Am I sober? God, am I just? God, am I devout and holy and seeking after your face? Am I seeking you to be obedient God is this what I am but I ask you who is helping you who is holding you accountable to living a life of being blameless the hardest thing some of the hardest things that I do I meet with the pastor here in town almost every we try to do every month and we ask those questions how's your relationship with your spouse how's your relationship with your children How is this? How is that? We ask those questions to each other. Is it easy? No. (laughs) Because sometimes it's not easy to be like, yeah, I blew it as a dad this week, this month. I said that thing and I shouldn't have. That was not right. But who's holding us accountable? Who's asking us those tough questions? So I would ask you today are you blameless? Are you accountable? And then the last thought this morning is through spirit-filled leaders who are faithful to God's word. We've looked at all of these things and we come to this verse number nine, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. Listen, as as a pastor, as a father, as a, as a leader, you put whatever you want to put in there. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I I would ask this question Are you holding fast to the faithful word of God? Are you holding fast? See, I can stand up here and preach, I can teach, but as my life before the office, am I holding fast to God's word? I don't know when you do your devotional time, but are you holding fast to God's word? That thought of holding fast is strongly cling to or adhere to. One must hold fast. One must strongly cling to the word with a fervency and a devotion. I wonder if we do that. I I wonder. If we look at adherence to several different things in our lives. I I made this joke this morning was, I have four children. All of them at times attempt to be artsy and creative, which means that there's a lot of mess left in different places and glues that are found, and you're like, what and where and how and what? What? When they were little, what did we do? We would take the glue stick and we would try to put it on and they would use a glue stick and then they move up into the Elmer's white glue, right? And they need a dabble and they use a lot. But let me ask you this question if we're just all we're honest, right? Is Elmer's glue really that great of an adherence? No. No, we understand that. As kids, it's yeah, it'll work. But it's going to, at some point, it's, it's really not a great glue. So my children now are beyond Elmer's glue. They're beyond this. They've used, if you put tape in our home, it's gone within a matter of 30 seconds. I have no idea where it goes or what wall it's hanging on. But tape disappears in our house. I, I don't know. It's magic. It's magic. But they use tape. But now we're beyond all of that. And now it's the hot glue gun. So now in our house, they don't ask for Elmer's. They go upstairs where they know where stuff is and they take out the hot glue gun and the glue sticks because it's more adherent. Listen, and this is a silly illustration, but I ask you, are you adhering to the word of God like a small piece of tape? Are you adhering to the word of God like an Elmer's glue or maybe like a liquid nail that we used some of up here? Something that is truly, are we adhering to the word of God? Because I think sometimes it's just that Elmer's glue, silly, built maybe a bad illustration. But it's just like, oh yeah, but if I want to go, I can go away and it just kind of comes apart. Are we adhering, are we holding fast? It says to exhort and refute. That is, the, that is to strengthen God's people in knowledge of and obedience to the word of God. Exhorting is to urge, beseech, and encourage. It is to call alongside of. I say this and I pray that this is your prayer with one another. Do you exhort... Do you encourage? Are you urging? Are you beseeching? Are you pleading that we would grow in knowledge and obedience of the word of God? Do you do that to the person that's near you? Do you do that to your spouse? Listen, as a pastor, my prayer, I pray that I I come alongside. I pray that I give knowledge. I pray that I encourage you to be obedient. But I pray that you know that I desire to come alongside of you, to hold your hand, to carry you whatever I need to do in that moment of life. That's our desire my desire is to do that to come alongside of but it can't stop with me i can only carry so many are you carrying your family are you carrying your those that are in your circle of influence are you exhorting if we're looking at this as a team right the captain may be held accountable and he needs to do his part. I need to do my part. But at the end of the day, every other one of those guys, those players, they all have to be doing it. We're working together. Why? So that we can be the best that we can be. Church, we need to do that. Are we exhorting one another? Are we holding fast to the word of God? Uh, and I would ask you this, as a believer, who is that for us? That's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit as our helper is coming along. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, dwells inside of us. That is our advocate that is, is coming and helping us. And we've got Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father that is pleading on our behalf. And it says that we would be able to refute. If you know me, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of a lot of theological arguments. Because so much of that is arguing over things that have no basis that we will never go to heaven. We'll go to heaven and we'll go, ah, we were wrong there. I think there's obviously times where we have to. But when we look at this, if we go to the culture and the context, many of you were with us during the series in Galatians. And we talked a lot about the Judaizers who would come in and what they were doing was what? What? They were trying to teach a completely false doctrine, a completely false gospel. It's the gospel plus all of these things. It's not much different here. The the Titus and and the others, they they had their churches, and the others were coming in, and they were teaching all of this false stuff that was, hey, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. And, And so Paul is writing to Titus, Titus? As a leader, you need to put people in place that can speak to that, that know the word of God, that can, can refute that because I have part of the leader's job is to what? Protect. And I'm not to protect you physically. I'll do my best. I'm, I don't know how much I'll help you out. But I'm to protect the spiritual soundness and doctrine of this church. That, that's part of my job. That's part of the calling. That's part of the, the need as a pastor. And so as we look at that, as we close out, we look at all of these things. We look at being blameless. We look at being held accountable. We look at staying and adhering and being faithful to the word of God. And I just plead with you this morning. I plead with you in this sense that you would understand that, yes, there's a specific call on the pastor. But this ought to be the desire of every person that knows Christ. That as God, the Holy Spirit comes in and we say yes to him, God, I need you. The Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit stirs us that the actions and the things that we say and do outwardly are so natural that our desire is that of blamelessness. Our desire is that of just our spouse. Our desire is that that we are not angry, that we are not given into these things, but that we desire to be hospitable. We desire to know God. We desire to seek the things that are right. We desire to be just and honest and, and fair in the actions and the, the decisions that we make. That's on every believer. Not just the guy that stands before a church congregation as a pastor. And so my plea, my cry with you today is, is that your desire? Are you seeking God? Are you desiring and seeking out being blameless? I can't be perfect no more than you can be perfect. I can't change the things that I did yesterday. Now some of those things that I did yesterday may impact me tomorrow and that there's certain things that I can't do and according to God's word as far as that goes. But I, I can't change it. But God's good to wipe that slate clean and say go and live and be blameless. So this morning I just ask you, As a believer, are you living a life that is blameless? Maybe you sit and you're listening, whether it's here or online, you're listening and you would say, but I don't know Christ as Savior and I would plead with you. The greatest thing that you can ever do is not just to try to act right. It's not just to try to do the good things so that you are right with the man upstairs. But it's that you would seek God in repentance and forgiveness just want to thank you again for joining us today we pray that the service has been an encouragement and a blessing to you here at oasis we have a desire to walk alongside of you to be a partner in your walk with the lord so if you have made any decision today we would love to pray with and celebrate that with you so will you please take a moment and fill out the connect form or text decision to the number provided below oasis is supported by the faithful people like you So if you have a desire to give to the ministry and mission of Oasis, you can text GIVE to the number provided below, click on the GIVE link, or mail in your gift to the church office. Lastly, we have a desire to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can email us at prayer at oasislv.church. Church, Church, as we continue our study in the book of Titus, I pray that this life-changing grace will drive you to this world-changing action as a passionate follower of Christ.